This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Stand by for an urgent message from the crack team at Stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and look who's joining us today. Mom has all the good china out because coming down to the basement to help us answer your letters, we welcome special guest co-host and the co-creator and producer of the Playing With Fire documentary, Scott Rickens. Today, we're answering lots of Roth IRA letters because today is William Roth's birthday. Plus, we'll share the usual, a couple of headlines, throw out the Haven Lifeline, and my incredible trivia. Ready to go? So am I. Because right now, I'm staring at two guys who aren't used to sharing the mic for a full hour, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. It's about time we got somebody to help us carry the show. Are you saying that uh, I'm not doing a good enough job? Well, I'm just saying that uh, we might have somebody in the wings. Is this some kind of weird tryout thing that I... I'm the old quarterback, but you're bringing in the new guy, and I'm supposed to still teach. All I'm but saying, but I know he's taking my job. So I'm all I'm saying is, is that an hour from now there will be a vote. And you we'll, are the weakest link. Goodbye, oh, hey guys. I'm <laughs> um, here for the interview. <laughs> Mr. Rickens joins us. How are you, dude? Hey guys, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Now that you're visiting the basement, uh, yeah. you're here for the documentary. Yeah, that's coming up tonight, or uh, AKA last week. If you're listening to this on the day <laughs> it goes out, I, I got to tell you, I was I've been here before, and I was in the basement, and uh, I was here with Travis, the that's director, true. and I yelled, "Mom, meatloaf!" And then it was just silent, just dead silence. <laughs> And later on, I had to call Travis and say, do you know what that was from? It's a reference. It's from uh, Wedding Crashers. Yes. Yeah. I figured you guys have probably heard that a million times, but it was just dead silence. We, and I just didn't, I wanted to check with you on that. Well, make sure, A, that mom's making meatloaf upstairs. <laughs> and B, do you know what I'm talking about? We just thought it was kind of awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, anything to do with. <gasps> yeah. You hungry? Hey, mom! Can we get some meatloaf? <laughs> Chaz, I think I'm okay. I, I had a bite right before I came over. Thank you. You sure? You know what? I will have some meatloaf. Let's have some meatloaf. You want some? I knew you'd go. Hey, Mom! The meatloaf! We want it now! The meatloaf! <laughs> I don't know what she's doing back there. I don't know what so she's doing. doing stuff. <laughs> Thank you. I feel redeemed. 
So just so everybody knows which voice is which, I'm Joe Salci. Hi, every Joe Money on Twitter. We might as well introduce ourselves. most people figured that out. Yes. Uh, We've got OG here. And of course, as we just mentioned, Scott Rickens is here. Uh, For people that don't know about the documentary, the book, you've got a podcast coming. Tell everybody what you did. (laughs) What have you done? Yes. (laughs) Well, I made a film about the fire movement. I wrote a book about my wife and I's first year experiencing what it was like to implement the strategies of the fire movement. And now, yeah, we'll be producing a podcast basically as a follow-up to the story that you can follow along with on the dock to kind of keep ourselves in check and give ourselves a a weekly update on, on our own fire journey and also to kind of cover the going-ons and the happenings of the fire movement on a weekly basis. So I'm really looking forward to that. I've actually, this whole project, when it started out, my original idea was just to start a podcast because I really wanted to. I used to be in video production. I still am in video production. And when you pull 20 Pelican cases that are 100 pounds with you everywhere you go, podcasting just looks so desirable. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it is. You haven't seen what Joe brings to uh, away games, have you? (laughs) I haven't. Hanging out in your mom's basement all day making podcasts, it's a dream come true. amazing. By the way, another thing that is a weekly update, Scott, is The Stacker. This episode of Stacky Benjamin is brought to you by The Stacker. That's our weekly newsletter where you can find out everything that's happening in the basement and get uh, nearly weekly money lessons from me, stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. We got Scott Rickens here, got OG here. We've got your letters. It's William Ross' birthday. Mom's got a cake. So uh, let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. So is this uh, is this dude still alive? Mr. Roth uh, passed away some time ago, unfortunately. But his legacy lives on. Yes. Every time somebody decides to use the back door nope. with the Roth. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the thing on Twitter the other day about uh, somebody, somebody saying Roth, capital R, lowercase O-T-H, is a person's name. It's not capital R, capital O, capital T, capital H. It's not an abbreviation. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't people, stand for anything. It doesn't stand for that. No. Or stand for anything. It's well, like, it does stand for something, yeah. that dude. Yes. It stands for him. Who was from Delaware, by the way. He was a <laughs> senator in Delaware. Did you know that? Makes sense. Yes. He, how, how was he as a, as a human? Was he a good person? He's well, very tax-free. Yeah. <laughs> He's very free. Yeah. He's freeing. Yeah. I like him. He wasn't very taxing to be around. You're yes, right. He wasn't. Yes. Let's get to, <laughs> ah, let's get to way better than mine. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Our first headline comes to us from the Globe and Mail. We're going to go north of the border with this one good to day, Canada. Mate. Downsizing to one car. This is by Rob Carrick. Downsizing to one car from two can do wonders for retirees' finances. Uh, Rob writes, as terrible as it is for your finances, owning two cars is often unavoidable. Take two working parents, add kids, and you have a strong convenience-based case for paying the many costs of owning and maintaining a pair of vehicles. At a home in the suburbs, the argument gets even stronger. But owning two cars stops making so much sense later in life. In retirement, you can save a bundle by going down to one vehicle. And I wanted to talk about this. This is a conclusion that Sylvia Thays, Associate Financial Planner at Caring for Clients, came to recently when drafting a financial plan for a couple looking ahead to retirement. In the initial conversation... One of the two was insistent about building continued ownership of two cars into the financial plan. Quote, when I talked to her, she really wanted to keep her independence. She wanted to make sure she would have her own car even in retirement. Then 
Miss Thays showed her client the benefits of going down to one vehicle in retirement. Listen to this, guys. By adding the money saved to their investments, the couple would have two extra years of living in their home before it had to be sold to generate retirement income. Their net worth would increase by a future value of $678,000 just by getting rid of one car. What kind of cars were they driving? (laughs) That seems like some generous math, but okay. Well, if it appreciates at 36%. Exactly. Uh, your yeah. investments. Yeah. yeah. Porsche 911 is your threshold. <laughs> but you guys did that. Uh, yeah. Scott, you guys uh, downsized from two cars to one. Yeah. We, uh, we designed our life around that functionality and it has drastically improved our quality of life. And I have a really fun and functional suggestion or potential suggestion to get around this whole one car issue. I recently purchased an electric bike and these things are getting more and more incredible every day. I mean, it gets 20 miles uh, or 20 miles an hour in speed. I, I get about a 40 mile range. So you can go just about anywhere you would go in a car based on average daily driving of, of a U.S. person. And obviously, there's a lot of caveats to this. You have to live in an area that's got a decent and relatively safe bike lanes, you know, things like that. And you have to be able-bodied enough to actually be on a bike and things like that. You know, if we're talking about later stage retirees, that might be a consideration. But if you meet those criteria, if you have a bike-friendly area at all, if you're able-bodied and you can run around with these things, these things are like car replacements. And um, there's this awesome company called Rad Power Bikes, and they're doing everything online, so they don't have a bunch of overhead with you know a bunch of different storefronts. And all their bikes are fifteen hundred bucks. So compared to the price of a vehicle, ongoing maintenance, all these things, um, electric vehicle is far far cheaper and gives you a, a hell of a range. $1,500 second car, not bad, OG. Yeah, I was going to say, we were just in Omaha a couple of weeks ago for the College World Series. It's not a huge town, but big enough downtown. And they had all the scooters that you could rent, mm. you know, with the app and whatever. Mm-hmm. And we had so much fun just kind of screwing around on that. I told my wife for a gift idea, I said, you should get me a scooter because then I don't actually, you know, because I work from home in the basement a lot of times. A lot of times I'll walk, you know, it's like two and a half miles to go get a cup of coffee or something like that. It's good exercise, but... There are times at my home where it might be just a skosh too warm to be outside for a really long period of time. So that might be a might be a fun alternative to getting in the car. I, I wasn't even thinking about it from a cost savings. It's just like, you know, the whole getting in the car and starting the car and the, well, do I, I was, say environmental issues? I was thinking you know? about just healthy living too. Yeah, I mean, yeah you're outside as opposed to yeah. whatever. Yeah. I, yeah, it's it, better for your mental health. It's better for your physical health. Yeah. Yeah. And they're I've, super fun. I've only used cool. an electric bike once and it was really cool. There was a big hill we had to go up and I'm pedaling away. And the second we hit that hill, all of a sudden there's this, and I pedal at the same rate and it just brings me right up the hill. I'm like, this is, I'm kind of curious about great. that. Cause we have a hill in our section of our neighborhood. Right. And I'm kind of wondering how it'll do going up the hill, but um, with the electric scooter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, decent, I was in San Francisco decent. running around with uh, an electric scooter and there's some crazy hills there. Yeah. I didn't know and, that. You didn't know that? Yeah, they're pretty pretty drastic. <laughs> you should have said spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But it was easier than walking up the hill. Yeah. <laughs> but the second thing, just getting rid of the, you know, let's say you can't get rid of the car, like Rob's talking about. For some people in the suburbs, don't have bike lanes. Maybe the electric bike that far to work doesn't make sense for them. Mm-hmm. Getting rid of that car payment still is a huge thing. You were leasing cars. Yeah, we leased two vehicles because we had gone through a couple of lemons ourselves and we were getting stranded on the five. 
and that just wasn't practical and safe. And, you know, so in, in our minds, it was justified to lease new vehicles so that we wouldn't have to deal with like the maintenance. And, and um, after actually sitting down and looking at what our cars were costing us, I, I think in aggregate, all the costs considered, it was like almost a thousand dollars a month. And to cut that down to buying one vehicle for 6,500 bucks uh, and not having any, any car payments anymore and only having to cover relatively cheap insurance and gas because we don't use it that often. We've designed our life to do that. We've drastically decreased uh, our transportation spending and we are much, much happier for it too. I mean, I, I'll get in my car sometimes and be like, I don't think I've driven this thing in like two weeks. And that's kind of a novel thing and it's awesome. So I think there's a million benefits to it if you can finagle your way around it and figure it out. But I think it's worthwhile trying at the very least. You see people all the time, Mochi, that are struggling with their finances and cutting that car cost can be a game changer for somebody who's uh, just struggling to make ends meet. Well, it's not even the payment, but like Scott said, it's the maintenance on it. It's the tires. It's all of the stuff that just, even if you have a paid for car, quite often that's the car that has the 100,000 miles on it. You're like, yeah, I paid it off. And what the hell is an evaporator cord? Why do I need another one of them? (laughs) And they're like, well, we'll tell you, but first give us a check for $4,200 and then we'll tell you what it's used for, you know? So it can be really frustrating even after that. And that's where you get into those mental games where you're like, I should just lease a freaking car because after I take all the payments that I made for the last five years and then lump in these very odd timed, never a good time, by the way, $4,000 expenses of and then the alternator went out or then the this went out or whatever, you go, well, I should just get a new car every three years. And then you, you get halfway through that and you're like, well, this is stupid. I'm, ne- I'm never getting out of this. It's a really, uh, really tough catch 22. Yeah. I found going to the $5,000 car and I had clients that when I was a financial planner that would say, this is nickel and diming me. And I would add up those nickels and dimes yeah. you're talking about because it's usually not the 4,500. It's like, well, I had to put these tires up, my rotors, whatever. You do these things and you compare that to what Scott's talking about, $1,000 a month. The nickel and dime of me argument, I think you got to add up the nickels and dimes before you Turns into a lot of make, money. That, make totally that decision. Agree. And if you get the $5,000 car, if, you, if you're smart with that purchase and you're getting a Honda or a Toyota or something that's known to be reliable all the way through its 200 plus thousand mile life cycle. Or? Or? A Saturn. Or a Saturn. A Saturn Obviously. Yeah. There's only a few still left in out business. there. You know those sure things are going to go. Sure it's easy to find replacement parts <laughs> for that. You guys don't have to rip me at the same time. I'm sitting right here. You know, another quick piece of this is when you have a newer vehicle, especially or even a leased vehicle, one thing that I've noticed, my, my folks actually just got a, a fairly new vehicle, much to my chagrin, and it's brand new. It's like really well maintained. They they kept talking about like, man, there's, there's not even a scratch on this because they, they bought it used. It's a Toyota Tacoma. They got a truck because my dad's a truck guy. You know, it's like not even a scratch. And when I heard that, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, you've got this really nice car and then you feel like it needs to stay really nice. And then when you inevitably drive into a parking lot and somebody dings it and drives away and no kidding within three days. Oh, no. Yep. uh, Somebody like backed into the corner and these things are like meant to crumble. So the bumper looks like it, you know, got smashed with a sledgehammer. And uh, one of the backlights is is cracked. And it's like, what a pain in the ass. I was going to say, I know a Toyota minivan that kind of experienced the back corner of a garage. Because the beeper thing wasn't working, allegedly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Seems like it always works when I drive it, but, you know, 
Yeah, but the stress involved with that, right? And the feeling that you have when oh, that yeah. happens, it's like terrible. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to if you have like like my vehicle, for instance, I could care less what happens to that thing. Like, you know, as long as it's not like this egregious hole in Out of it, my you know. way, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a ding's not going to hurt my feelings. I'm not even going to notice it. Yeah. Our second headline comes to us from Market Watch. The best time to shop for just about anything. So last week we had Prime Day. Did you guys uh, pick out on Prime Day, buy a bunch of stuff? Scott? (laughs) I haven't opened up Amazon in a while. No, no, I didn't. I thought about it. They had uh, discounted AirPods, so they got the new ones at the wireless charging case, and they were on sale for 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, they're on sale, $20 off. That's awesome. And then I went... But I wasn't going to buy them anyway. Yeah. At one seventy nine, why would I? You know, I didn't need them. The ones I have are fine. I, I uh, so I I abstained. I remember taking this class in high school. We had to take this. Uh, it was pretty cool. It was a consumer finance class, and I remember our teacher. Shout out to Mrs. Bishop. Mrs. Bishop said she's like, even if it's forty percent off, the other sixty percent still has to come out of your wallet. Even though it's forty percent less, the cost before you decided to even think about that was zero. And then you go, oh, but it's 40%. I got to have some of that. It's 40%. Come on. But if you do have to buy something, these guys talk about the best day. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's, I thought we'd go through a few of these. And by the way, this is written by uh, Courtney Jesperson. Five great times to shop. Number one, Thursdays. Just any Thursday. <laughs> That's just a good day. <laughs> surprising. Okay. And then anything in particular on Thursday they should look for? And then for? Courtney Thursdays writes, no specific Friday. reason. It's just a great day to buy. No. <laughs> Courtney says shopping at brick and mortar stores on a Thursday afternoon or evening can be cost effective. This one isn't a guarantee every time, but it's a good bet. According to Christine Regine, a professor of marketing at Johnson and Wales University in Rhode Island, who holds a doctorate in business administration. Listen to this. Thursday is an important day for consumers to know because that's when stores take markdowns. They're prepping for the weekend they know they're going to get the most foot traffic on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so they mark it down on, on Thursday. Mrs. OG does her grocery shopping on Thursday, but largely so she doesn't have to deal with people on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. <laughs> well, that's I like that, too. The other thing, by the way, you go to a restaurant, you know this one. Mondays. Don't buy. Oh. Don't buy steak or fish on a Monday, mm-hmm. because generally the new stuff comes on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. This is from Tony Bourdain's book. Uh, the new stuff comes on Tuesday and the chef and his team or her team have been walking around all this stuff all week because it doesn't look great. And finally, they're at the bottom. So you're literally getting the stuff on Monday that everybody walked by. <laughs> Number two, ho- know. holiday weekends are a good time to buy. In some cases, Mondays are better. Expect big deals on weekends leading up to holidays, says Darren Duber-Smith, a senior lecturer in marketing at Metropolitan State University of Denver. That can apply to an array of products, but particularly big-ticket items like cars. A three-day weekend is always great for buying, Duber Smith says. That's just a general rule. When there's a day off, a Monday off, that's a big deal because it's three days of buying instead of two. Popular sale weekends are President's Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day. Everybody seems to be having a deal on those days. But still, I don't like the car lot analogy because what you roll that thing off the lot and you're hugely depreciated. Well, sure, but what about the slightly used one or, you know, the new-to-me type car? I think the benefit with the car purchase is trying to – this goes against what we were just talking about, but if you're going to get one – trying to not be in such a hurry because everything around that purchase in particular is designed to get you to make a decision that day. Yes. And if you can just say, 
no, I'll wait. Like, I don't care if I wait three weeks or five weeks or eight weeks or whatever. I'm just looking until I find what I'm looking for. You know, you'll have so much more availability and you will find the one like using your, you know, Monday meet example that's just been sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And then you'll say, but that car's been sitting there for six weeks. They're probably ready to make a deal on it. So, did you use did you use a car dealer when you bought your used car? No, we we uh, found it on Craigslist on a, on a person. Yeah. yeah, but I was in that same situation where I didn't I wasn't in a hurry, and so that worked in my benefit. I think it was listed at eighty five hundred and ended up getting it down two grand. That was like a three week process of I was watching it. I realized it wasn't going, and then I hit them up and I asked to do a test drive and didn't make an offer. And I sat on it for a couple of days, and then I responded again, said, "Hey, my wife would like to." check it out. Can I go Slow playing it? You're Absolutely. like a poker player. Absolutely. It was like, do you want me to buy this car instead of, uh, yeah. instead of trying to make an offer on it right away? And you know, the same thing, my folks just moved to, to our area and they needed some outdoor furniture for their patio. Luckily they just moved here like 4th of July weekend right before. And there was all these deals on patio furniture. And we realized, oh yeah, because everybody buys their patio furniture in the beginning of the summer. Right. And now it's been like a month and a half and nobody's buying patio furniture anymore. That's actually the third thing on this list. Clearance events. A key to shopping, it says, is buying products when retailers are liquidating them and moving them to the clearance rack. You guys have seen our living room or excuse me, our dining room table upstairs. Our house furniture, not a cheap place. It was in the warehouse sale. The legs, for people that don't know this, the legs are all the same. However, our legs were like a B leg, a B leg, a C leg, and a D leg. There's no A leg. And it had a couple scratches. But the thing, it's this, I don't know, it's this, it's got this very natural wood grain, so the scratches look like it's part of the deal. It was a twelve hundred dollar table for a hundred bucks. And that, that table is beautiful and really heavy. It is super heavy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's legit. Yeah. So to your point, buying that patio furniture in the fall or mm-hmm. when people are, are liquidating, fantastic. The last one on here, same time as last year. If you can't remember when these types of sale events are going to roll around, the deals retailers have hosted in the past are usually a good indication of deals they're hosting in the future. Regime points out that Sephora has a big makeup sale every May. Old Navy has a flip-flop sale every June. Amazon, of course, has Prime Day. So if you miss the super big sale, put it on your calendar for next year so you don't forget it. Fascinating. Or you didn't need it that badly, so do without. Yeah. Yeah, that's another little tip that we've used is anytime we do need something on Amazon, if it's not like a necessity like face lotion or deodorant or something like that, we'll leave it in the cart at least three days. And then when you come back three days later, do you really need this thing? And man, more often than not, no. That's one of those tricks too, I think, for just online shopping in general, right? You log in, you put it in the cart, and then you sign out Mm -hmm. and and wait a day. And usually within a day, you get an email that says, hey, there's something in your cart. Here's a 25% off gift certificate. Yeah. Because it just- Trigger that automated funnel. Yeah, it's just an automated, like, this guy's right here. Yeah. He's ready to buy it. (laughs) That's a great- You know, just just put it in there. Walk away. That's what happens. Biggest uh, takeaway? I don't know. I think the biggest thing is uh, if you can try to figure out a way to rearrange your schedule, whether it's your schedule of when you buy stuff or it's your schedule of when you do things, you know, you can find a lot of efficiencies in there, whether it's purchasing or saving money, car expenses, we talked about, that sort of stuff. Scott? I just realized how much I miss the old days when you could Google promo code and then the thing that you wanted (laughs) to buy and you would actually find stuff. And now it's like, Retail Me Not has bought all of those other companies and dominated the first like three pages of Google. Those were the good old days. I just realized I missed that. It's so nostalgic. 
We use we use the honey. I was gonna say we've got honey, right? Yeah, we use honey. But still, yes. Retail me not honey. You can't yeah, the whole Google thing's done. Yeah. You're not gaming it anymore. Well, today we don't have a featured guest. We have a featured co-host. So we also have the be like a try host. Try try. Host. Trial, trial host. That's Third what I was leg. <laughs> No, that's bad. <laughs> we're a tripod today. A tripod <clears throat> podcast. Ooh, uh, so podcast. We're gonna between three of us, hopefully, answer a bunch of your letters. By the way, do not send us new letters. Go to the Stop Haven Lifeline, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. We got so far behind on letters that we're not taking anymore, but we're still trying to work our way through. Yeah, occasionally ones. people still write them. Richie said we're about. Uh, six or seven away okay. from finally being done with letters. So let's get through as many as we can today and lots of Roth IRA stuff because of Mr. Roth's birthday. Our first letter comes to us from Eric. Eric writes, once a pre-tax 401k is maxed out, what are the risks of contributing to an after-tax 401k? On exiting the company, uh, it can be rolled to a Roth IRA per the 2015 rule and financial aid for kids uh, will not concern themselves with this asset. Just want to know if there's a tax risk when I leave the company. OG? So the after-tax contributions in your 401k can be taken out and put into a Roth IRA. A lot of times people do that immediately, like they do it at the end of the year. Largely, those after-tax contributions are going to be the last ones you put in. So you put in all your pre-tax or you put in all your Roth contributions, and then you're done. You know, you've put in the 19000 Well, the last two months, maybe you put in a little extra. So you don't have to wait till the end of the... Uh, your employment, you can take that money out immediately and put it into a Roth. The difference is, is that you're going to be taxed on the gain. So that component of it is going to be taxable, just like if you did a non-deductible IRA contribution, as we call it the back door, right? If any of that money grows and you convert it, you're going to pay taxes on it. So if you waited your entire career, then you'll have pre-tax money, after-tax contributions, and then growth on the after-tax contributions. You'll have to decide on each one of those where you want to put it. You're likely to be able to, with your uh, record keeper, say, take my pre-tax stuff, put it in my IRA, put my after-tax contributions into my Roth, and take the gains from the after-tax contributions and put those either in my Roth and pay taxes on the gain or put them in my IRA and continue to defer So you got to just have that money set aside to pay the tax. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you have enough. Scott, do you guys use uh, Roth IRAs in your plan? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We max them both out every year. Yeah. yeah. And we've looked at front-loading that investment strategy like because i think there's actually a gain to that too right front loading it just the time value component of it right yeah Yeah, quicker the better right yeah you and i were having a discussion yesterday i think it was about the market and about how you're starting to see people in different cities as you go around the nation asking the same question people ask us which is the market's pretty high right now shouldn't i wait yeah you're you're seeing that yeah we're running around the country i think i've been through about six or seven screenings now and there's about 200 to 250 people showing up to these screenings every night. And we have these Q&As afterwards. And that's like the most common question. It, people are seemingly very worried somehow. It's weird that they're worried that the market's high. But everybody's worried that, you know, they're, they're thinking this crash is coming. And so, yeah, that timing bug is happening. It feels like everybody's starting to try to time the market. And, and I always just think back to a conversation I had with Jail Collins one time where I was feeling this same way two years ago. And I was lamenting to him how I needed to move some money over into an investment. 
And I was like, should I wait? Because I feel like the market's about to dive. And he just, you could feel his head shaking and his eyes rolling. And, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Mr. Collins and uh, OG are set like from the same cloth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say to that point, I mean, I get what you're, everybody's saying, right? Like sure. it feels, hey, S&P's at 3,000 right now or give or take. That's the highest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't I wait for it to pull back? And I'll say, well, do you have materially more money today than you did Christmas Eve? Like, did you win the lottery in the last six months or did you get, you know, a million dollar bonus? Probably not. You're still trying to invest your $5,000 a month or your $5,000 a year or whatever it is. Where were you on Christmas Eve? The market was down 20% at that point. If you were going to be an expert market timer, you would have been back in the truck up on Christmas Eve, but nobody was. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that same time, people were going, I don't know, it's going down. I think it's going to go down a little bit further. I don't want to put my money in now. It's like, well, you can't hit, which side do you want to take of that argument? <laughs> you got to pick one. When are you ever going to put the money yeah. in the market? <laughs> yeah, it's down 20%. You were waiting for it to decline. It's declined. Yeah. Do this it now. Is, this is actually funny, though, OG, because we were actually talking about this as well. Scott just happened to have some money available right very close. Just at the bottom. To just, Christmas Eve. Just bounced off the bottom. And where two years go. ago, where two years ago, I don't want to put words in your two years ago, you would have gone, eh, this time you didn't even look. You just put it in. So Absolutely. you were that guy. I, I, I just happened to be that guy. Total accident. I know it's never going to happen Better again. Better be lucky than good, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I recognize that wasn't my genius. That was just pure freaking luck. But, well, but there was genius, which is put it in right now. Just put it in. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That I was going to say, that's, genius, that's yeah. the genius part right. is that if you think about it from the time horizon standpoint, if you say, okay, when do I need this money? If you're going, well, I need it in six weeks. Well, it's not going to the market anyway. That's a stupid game to play. If you're going, well, I need it for my kid's education. He's eight. Okay, you've got a long time rise. I need it for my retirement when I'm 92. You are not going to keep a record of the purchase price of the or the you know the closing market value of the S and P 500 when you put in this year's Roth contribution when you're got 40 years on the you know mm-hmm. like just get it just be done with it just. I feel like the easiest mantra to just keep in mind is that age old, like time in the market is better than timing the market, period. Yeah, yeah. And no one can can argue that because no one's a future teller. And unless you are, uh, just put the money in the investment. I just saw one of the folks at Ritholtz. I don't know if you follow them on Twitter. I don't know. One of their... Barry? Uh, yeah. One of their... Barry? One, yeah, me and Barry. One of their personalities there had the, the latest update of some stock market prognosticator that every year has issued like the... It's going down 70%. It's going to be the greatest decline of our lifetime. And it's and he's got it back to 2010. So every year he's got a new, you know, something. It's like, well, oh, yeah, market's at an all-time high. It's t- about time for Bill to start complaining. Oh, there he is. He's, there he there is. There he is. He's called 17 of the last three down markets. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Samantha writes to us. By the way, thanks for the letter, Eric. Uh, Samantha writes to us and said, if I were to open a Roth IRA now by contributing $100 to the fund and then roll over $500 from a traditional IRA next year, can I then withdraw the $500 in four or five years? In other words, I'm not sure the five-year rule begins with the opening of the account or when the funds were deposited in it. Thanks so much. Question about the five-year rule in Roth IRAs, OG. Yeah, cool thing is is that actually the five-year clock starts the January 1, the year that you put money in. So even if you waited until this letter was written some time ago, it's now July you put your $100 in now, the date on this is technically January 1 this year. So you have all the way until December to, quote, start the clock for your five-year distribution rules. I don't know why you'd want to use them, but you could use that. And it goes back to the first of the calendar year. But if she's rolling $500 over from a traditional IRA, does that have the same tax consequences? 
Well, I mean, she's going to pay taxes on that $500 now, right? Because it was a, she got a tax benefit already. So you're going to pay taxes on that. And then it's, yeah, it's, it's just because it's part of that same Roth IRA, it's just that account. So whatever money goes in, you know, it's, it has the same five-year rule. Yeah, gotcha. So it'll count as contributions is what I was going to say. I'm looking at the time. I'm getting a little parched. Doug is really excited about doing some trivia. So guys, why don't we take a quick break and Doug, uh, the microphone's yours. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And today we're celebrating the life of a man whose name, when mentioned, makes grown men's hearts flutter. Who else but William Roth? While the inventor of the Roth IRA passed away in 2003, his memory still lives on every time two money geeks wonder whether the five-year rule applies to the opening of the account or the date the money goes in. You know, what most of us just call fun discussions. And while William Roth now holds the distinguished honor of being the Roth IRA namesake, that wasn't what the tax-free IRA plan was originally called. So here's your trivia. What was the original name of the Roth IRA? I'll have your answer right after this. What if you two could be balding and own your own podcast production company? Think that would be too good to be true? Well, strap on the wow helmet, kids, because we're about to introduce you to Sacking Benjamins in the Cab. Now, you too can create a moderately successful internet radio show from the comfort and privacy of your own mom's basement. That's right. Stacking, Stacking Benjamins, Benjamins in, in the can, can is the do-it-yourself kit that's creating tons of internet fun. What's included? Well, feast your eyes on this, kids. Open up your Stacking Benjamins in the can, and you'll see 14 ways to talk about your latest trip to Bavaria. 18 of the worst bad dad jokes you've ever heard. Your own barely relevant holiday calendar. A sealed container brimming with the smells of stale basement air and day-old pizza. Plus, one script chock full of Segway ideas. And because there was still a little room, we also shoved in your very own Steak Brother story. All in, in the, the can. can. But that's not all. Think we can't do better? Oh, yes, we can. We've also thrown in, in the, the can, can five gratuitous references to OG's after-school activity, three boring tales about how cold it is in Detroit, and if you call in now, tons of free Sizzler coupons. How do you get it? You know that's not the question to ask. Oh, go ahead, ask us. How do I get it in the can? Here's the secret to stacking Benjamins in the can. Just head to your mom's basement, buy a microphone, and we'll take care of the rest. Stacking, stacking Benjamins, Benjamins in the, the can, can couldn't be easier. Still not sold? What if I told you stacking Benjamins in the can is gluten-free? That's right. Healthy, barely funny, and all stuffed into this refillable souvenir container. Call for yours today. Operators are standing by. No animals were harmed in the making of this recording. Welcome back, Rothians. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this is my trivia segment. 
So what if I took a page out of this Roth guy's book and offered listeners one penalty-free trivia withdrawal per year? I could, but you know you don't want to do that. You're great at trivia, and this is one you've probably got nailed, right? So let's see. Before the break, I asked you about the original name of the Roth IRA. You know, before Willie wised up and smartly stuck his own name on it. So the answer, if you said an IRA, you'd be, uh, well, you'd be half correct. The answer is the Roth IRA was originally called the IRA Plus. Seems kind of tame, doesn't it? But remember, this was way back when they created the Roth IRA. Now they totally go for broke and call it like the IRA Extreme with an X, or like the IRA Super Deluxe with two X's. What I do know is I just totally deluxed this trivia that's deluxe with three X's. You're going to share this with both your friends, aren't you? See ya! IRA plus. Didn't know that. For the win. No. Scott knew it. <laughs> nope. He was... I'm trying to decide if that's a better name, though. Yeah, I don't... I, I feel like that might be well, a better name for it. It kind of is. I mean, you look at Canadians, you know, in Canada, it's a TFSA, tax-free savings account. Like, how great is that? Yeah. And we've got the Roth IRA. Seriously. Like, dude, did you really need your name on that? And do we need to make finance any more confusing? Come on. Imagine if Dougie created it. The Doug. Not good. Oh, gee, I would put that. my name on something. You totally would put your name on it. You totally. I don't I don't know if, if Doug would or not. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, guys, and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Scott, what are the two things you value most? Family and co-hosting. It's very well said. Yeah. Sucking up is always... Try hosting. Welcome here. Try hosting. <laughs> Three of us. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about you. <laughs> He's already got you off the show. I know. Uh, it's your loved ones and your time. So nice job. Very close. It's why they've made by quality term life insurance actually simple. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote. The application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices. And of course, they're backed by Mass Mutual, a more than 160-year-old company. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hey, guys. I was wondering what you think about Fundrise and their ERIT investments. A little background on me. I'm 31, no debt, max out 401k and Roth to try and catch up since got professional degree and first started making big boy money about four years ago since I had odd jobs before. I currently rent in rural areas since rent is a little more than property tax would cost if I buy a home and not sure if I want to stay in the area. So all my investments are in stock market in some form. I want to have something in real estate to diversify. Plus want to save some money for a large down payment on a house in the future. I started to compile around 10000 in Fundrise and adding 800 a month. Fundrise had had good returns, but gains are taxed as income. Now to the meat and potatoes of the questions. First, they claim it is a good investment to have an economic downturn to balance out stock investments. Is that true? I was just wondering your opinion on the platform and if it sounds right for me, or should I just be putting money in normal REITs? Lastly, is my thinking correct about trying to save by investing for a house first, especially in my position, since property taxes near equal rent? Or is buying now the best because of appreciation over the years? Sorry for the multitude of questions. Just trying to actually learn something from the podcast. 
I even wrote out this question to attempt to not say anything stupid, so hopefully accomplish that. And hopefully the insight, writing it out, and practicing saying this was worth a t-shirt. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> he is getting a t-shirt. So uh, thanks for the question, Josh. You did nail it. Nice work. Okay, let's start off with real estate in the portfolio first, and let's do Fundrise later. How about that? Smart idea. Yes. Real estate in the portfolio, OG. Well, it's going to behave very similarly to your stock portfolio. The difference between a privately held REIT, which is Fundrise or any multitude of these other ones, or a publicly traded one is the liquidity. So my biggest concern was some of the timeframes that he listed out in terms of, you know, here's where I want the money available. I'm trying to build my investment portfolio for this purpose to have a down payment on my house. And if it's privately held, the liquidity issue might become an issue. I mean, it might be that downturn happens and the REIT company goes, yeah, we're not going to do distributions right now because it's invested in like a building and they can't turn around and just sell you know, a couple, a, bathroom. Of the, a couple of the floors of the building, yeah, just to meet your demand. So I'd be concerned with, uh, I mean, I don't know what else you're saving. He said $800 a month in that specific uh, fund. So I don't know if there's other monies going other places as well, but well, that's he said all the, re- the savings. He said the rest of his money is in the stock market. So apparently there's other cash. So he's, yeah. as long as he's got other places to go, he can probably ride out the liquidity issue. Could be, yeah. Yeah, but the stocks and real estate over long periods of time, very similar returns historically. The North American REIT index and the S&P 500 over long periods of time, those are the two investment classes that have a history of beating the pants off of inflation. So Mm -hmm. uh, those are the two more reliable ones. Going with uh, a REIT, I like. I like it public partly for the reasons that you stated about the private, you know, read or, or peeling off stuff. I also like, you know, I mean, if if you've got the time having some rental properties in your portfolio, Scott, you've you guys have a do you have a rental property? No, we don't. But we plan on we're, we're doing like a buy and hold thing where we'll we'll buy the property that we just bought. We'll yes. live in it for a while, update it, upgrade it for some appreciation. And then once the numbers shake out where the rent's covering the mortgage, then we move out, move move into the next one. And we're planning on doing that probably rinse and repeat five to seven times. I have have friends in Texarkana that uh, did that. He was fantastic with his hands and she was uh, a phenomenal interior decorator. Between the two of them, the house, I have none of those skills, by the way, which is why I don't do that. But the uh, between the two of them, just they took these houses and made them all look marvelous and got some nice big markups on that. So real estate, Josh, good. As a diversifier, absolutely. Let's talk about Fundrise in particular. And we'll start this off with, I have only heard good to moderately good things from people colloquially about Fundrise. Mm -hmm. However, Josh, you're probably new to the show, (laughs) so you may not know that Fundrise is one of the few companies that we have pointed to because we haven't liked the way they advertise their product at all. Fundrise used to have, before we started complaining about it, maybe other people did too, they used to say that their product was engineered for superior results. Do you know any product that isn't potentially engineered? <laughs> my, my Dove soap in my bathroom <laughs> is designed specifically to do the best job it can. Can you imagine a, a money manager going, we've engineered this for kind of mediocre. 
poorly engineered for mediocre results. And then they had this forward-looking graph, by the way, that showed the thing just going north. Yeah. At which, by the way, if, if, if this were a stock, the Securities and Exchange Commission would be all over them because you can't use forward-looking graphs to explain your mutual fund or your exchange-traded fund. If it grows at this rate, you'll be a gazillionaire. It's incredible. Compared to if it doesn't grow this rate, you'll be broke. Yes. Which one do you want? Gazillionaire yes. or broke? Yes. So I read, I read, <laughs> if you want to be a gazillionaire, sign this. Yeah. In this engineering thing that we did. Superior, you could tell, just by the picture that we drew. See? Yeah. the uh, That's our podcast. Just listen to our podcast. Our podcast is engineered, engineered for, superior for superior results. <laughs> yes. The, some of our viewers may say otherwise. But the second thing that we didn't like, or I didn't like in particular, was they just came out this year with what they called an IPO. And it was a little lie. Remember, remember this, OG? This, yeah. Like there's an IPO as initial public offering. Fundrise had one with a little I, P-O. And they said, oh, this is not an initial public offering. This is an internet public offering. Mm -hmm. Well, you still use the letters IPO. And a lot of people see IPO and they think, oh. And we got questions about it from people going, Fundrise How do I get in the Fundrise IPO? Yes. They said I could get in. And all they were doing was taking little pieces of their company and selling it to people on the internet. In that, so, so the wording there sucked. The second thing I didn't like about it was they said, this is the first time anybody's done this in their press release. Besides the fact that it was the second time they'd done it themselves. <laughs> they had done it two years earlier. Mm -hmm. There's people selling little pieces of their companies on the internet all the time. I mean, you can go to a sandwich shop and talk to the owner. Maybe he needs capital. You're seeing it all the time with, with the way that uh, regulations have changed. You know, you go to Acre Trader as an example, you buy part of a field, you can buy little pieces of these things all over the place. So, yeah, that's not true. And then just a third one, then the founder or the CEO of the company compared himself to Warren Buffett. Oh, didn't hear that one. Yeah, that was good, too. Yeah. Because everybody knows that we're actually like Warren Buffett, not him. Uh, so that says nothing, though, Josh, about the company. Yeah, the quality of the product. Says right? nothing about it. I know nothing about it. Just when I see those things, I can't in good faith tell you that I like it because of all these things that make me go. <sighs> I'm really big on the liquidity piece. I mean, Joe, you were around back in the early 2000s when non-publicly traded real estate was kind of all the hot thing paying really great dividends. And as the music started to stop in that game, people started realizing that there was a cost to having that high, high, high dividend. In fact, most of the time, people didn't even read the documents that came with it. And then you find out, well, actually, we're paying the dividends based on new money coming in. And you go, isn't that kind of like like a Ponzi scheme? Like, well, yeah, but it's not in this case because it's a REIT. So there's different rules about what they have to distribute and that sort of thing. And it became really evident in my career anyway, that liquidity was better than illiquidity for a lot of reasons. And you give some stuff up. If you go to a, a publicly traded REIT and you just type in, you know, Vanguard REIT or whatever, you might be paying, you might be getting, I'm sorry, three or 4% dividend yield. Well, you could go get a privately held real estate investment trust right now and get nine or 10. That's the trade-off. Now, in the Vanguard one, you're going to get some appreciation. In the privately held one, maybe you don't get as much appreciation. So you're, you know, you're getting your dividend instead of appreciation, that sort of thing. But for whatever reason, I just have the sense that 
being able to rebalance my portfolio or being able to make a change to my portfolio, not contingent on other economic factors like, oh crap, the market took a dump and now we're not raising any capital. We can't redeem your shares. That doesn't bother me so much. I mean, it doesn't bother me if it's a small piece of your portfolio and you know that that you're locked in. The, The frustration I always had was people would if they bought a rental house, they would know, well, I can't go sell yeah. the bathroom. But then they go buy one of these privately held investments like, no, 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 I want it out now. It's the same thing as going out and buying a house, just somebody else is doing it for you. You you still can't have it. And I guess buying the property yourself, though, you can decide to sell the house and hopefully it sells soon enough. You can get the money in the next couple months, right? Right. But when somebody else is in charge, you can't, you yeah. you don't have that ability. Yeah. But um, But that still doesn't bother me that much if it's you know, 10% of your portfolio, whatever. Um, yeah. You know anything about Fundrise, Scott? I don't. No, I don't have any experience with that. You know, coming from sort of the, the fire mentality, it's like all of that sounds like a whole lot of work. And, you know, low-cost broad-based index funds is just, it's simple, it's easy. And then for me, I uh, I think you said earlier that your friend had like magic hands or something. <laughs> like, I think, Joe, I think you can agree <laughs> I have magic hands too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Whoa. Oh. I wasn't here at the party last night, but now I know why you two are a little sleepy. I just, I just wanted to I just want to light a lot of magic, yes. magic hands going on. Yeah. But uh I just I really enjoy I, I enjoy like tangibly changing something at my house and forcing that appreciation and fixing things up and stuff like that. So for me, I look at, you know, buying these houses and and eventually stocking up our our real estate portfolio that way as we're creating cash flow. And so it's liquid in that way that, you know, you know, once they're paid off, like we're creating a separate income. So for me, it's like when we're diversified, it's the stocks are sitting there, they're getting they're they're growing and we'll use them when we need them. And then we're working hard to pay down these houses so that we can generate a cash flow that'll cover our expenses. And that's kind of our plan. And to me, it's like the work in that is really just the real estate side, which to me sounds like something I'm willing to work on. Yeah, exactly. And I like the idea of as long as you know what the return on investment is going to be and that that return is high enough to meet your objective and you know about liquidity, leading with stuff that you know makes a lot of sense to me. Because when things go wrong, you will know why it went wrong. Yeah. The biggest frustration I have is when things go wrong and people don't want to know why it went wrong. They just want it out and uh, then they blow up their own plan. Thanks for that question, Josh. And by the way, Gertrude will send you a code for the Greatest Money Show on Earth shirt. Scott, we got to get you a Greatest Money Show on Earth shirt. I'm waiting for it. We totally have to. Our next question, let's get back to emptying the mailbag here. Looks like we've got time for one, maybe two more. Joseph uh, says he loves the show. Just wanted to touch on something from a recent episode. You answered a question about the S&P 500's returns, and the person asking also mentioned the Rule of 72. The rule 72 can be proven with simple algebra. Joseph says, as far as the returns go, the arithmetic average might be 10%, but that's not real returns. That is where geometric averages come in. Addressing this might help many listeners understand things a little better. No, thanks. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I get where you're going, Joseph, but, but, but here's, here's what I like about the rule of 72. Geometric returns are not something that my brain goes, well, that was easier. But what does make it easier is you take the interest. So the rule 72, you familiar with this, Scott? Mm-hmm. You take the interest rate you think you're going to get, divide it into 72, and that tells you how many years it's going to take your money to double. Asterisk about. 
about, right? But I like the fact that you can very quickly do this on your fingers with your 401k at work. And your magic hands. As an example, with my magic hands. <laughs> uh, yes, this is where my magic hands are, are good at figuring out the rule 72. So let's say that you're 25 years old right now and you've done a great job of saving and you've got $10,000. So $10,000, let's say you're going to get an 8%. Eight divided into 72 is nine. means every nine years, your money's going to double. Now, at 25, people look at 10000 bucks and they go, well, that'd be a great down payment on a new car, right? <laughs> and now I have debt and my 10000 has gone. But if you really want to look at the opportunity cost, you take that 10000 you take your magic hand, and you go, well, that's not really ten grand if I save it for financial independence because nine years from now, so at 34... Four. It's going to double. It will double again at 43. At 52, if I don't spend it, let's say I'm going to wait till 60, 61. So that money, if Do you wait till more, after 60. 70. Okay. Let's go, let's go crazy. We'll, we'll, we won't spend that money till 70. Five times. So that's not 10 grand. In future dollars, using all five of my fingers, <laughs> uh, it's 20 the first time it doubles. The second time, then it's 40. It's 80,000, it's 160,000. And to OG's point, if you let it sit there till 70, you're looking at $320,000 versus $10,000 down payment. Yeah, 450 a month for the next five years. And a loan. Yes, big, (laughs) big change. So which would you rather have? 320,000? 911 he was talking about before is pretty sweet. Yeah. The new one. I've got the the sound on my phone. (laughs) You do? Yeah. He's got the sound on his mouth. He just did it. You don't even need the sound on your phone. Remember those days? The mouth sound days? Oh, that's crazy. That was a long time ago. There's probably not a lot of people that remember the drum roll. Oh, the drum. Oh, my. I know what you're talking. I didn't even remember the drum roll. Yes. Are you going to do it? No. Oh, okay. It's retired. All right, sorry. Someday, Scott. I thought because Scott's here, you do. He could do it. I guess I'll settle for a (laughs) T-shirt. That's a that's a close second. Let's do one (laughs) more, guys. Let's get crazy. Uh, This question comes to us from Rob. You talk about market timing a lot in responses to questions. Generally, we talked about it today. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, we should have all our money in the market right away, right? I ask because I hear OG state. He says three twenty seven two thousand nineteen episode. Best thing you can do when the market's down 20% is back up the truck. But how do we do that if our money's already invested in the market? The implication is you have money sitting on the sideline. Isn't that just market timing? I would say that what I mean by that is maybe that's the time to make a change to your cash reserve. You know, cash reserve emergency fund is there for two reasons, emergencies, but also for opportunities. So if you've got a really strong cash reserve position, maybe you have 12 months of expenses and you see, hey, the market's down 20%. I'm not trying to time it on purpose, but I have 60 grand in cash. I can get by with 30 grand in cash because that's still an adequate you know, emergency fund. Now's the time to put that 30,000 in. Or if you're going to say, well, I was going to do you know, $500 a month into my Roth, but it's January of 2019. The market just came off of minus 20 I've got the money set aside to do 500 a month. Instead, I'm just going to do all 6,000 right now. But is that still market timing? Because <laughs> because the market just went down, so you're trying to take advantage of it. It's still market timing. Sure is. Yeah, absolutely. But it's from the perspective of, I wasn't trying to do it. It just opportunistically appeared before a me. A sale appeared. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I wouldn't go out of my way to try to wait for it. We were just talking about this a few seconds ago. It's like, I'm not going to sit there with cash on the sidelines going, well, I think that's 3,000. It might come down. I'll just wait. 
it just so happens that I've got my money saved for my solo 401k contribution. Now I can put that in for the next year, like everybody else does. Or, holy crap, I look up and dang, the market's down 20%. I'll just do it all right now. Yeah. it's That's a great time. to, to and, and not just that, uh, Rob, it's also think about increasing your savings during that time period. Like, hey, is there a place where we can maybe save more? Maybe, maybe you can save, even if it's not long-term, just for the next few months, save a little bit more money. You can also, if your risk tolerance accepts it, you could take more risk with your investments and notch it into high gear. That's another way to yeah, do it. You can it. take money from a conservative section of your portfolio to a little bit more aggressive yeah. potential. I think about it from the, like the Warren Buffett comment, right? The be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. You know, when everybody's freaking out, like you just kind of have to go, well, what else could I do right now? It's no different than people opportunistically looking in areas, you know, we were talking about Fundrise. Well, Roofstock's another company that comes up from time to time. Their whole business model is opportunistically finding single family rentals in areas that haven't blown up yet. You know, Memphis or Jacksonville or Detroit, or you don't see a lot of Roofstock places in Silicon Valley, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're not there because yeah. that appreciation's already going on. So if you're an investor in that space, you wouldn't be looking at Manhattan penthouses right now, probably. You might be, if you are, the uh, stackingbenjamins.com slash OG. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, I mean, you know, it's the same thing. If you're, if you're ready to invest money, you got a gift from your grandparents for Christmas and you're going, well, can I put this in? Dollar cost average it in, or should I lump some it in? Maybe you would normally put it in over the course of a, you know, six months, and you go, oh, it's down twenty percent. And the thing that frustrates me, though, Rob, that uh, as we talk about this, is if you do put in money from your emergency fund, if you do notch up your risk tolerance, that there's no guarantee that this isn't a longer term downturn. Like, like, don't think this is easy money. It still is the market, and the market can do whatever the market's going to do. The frustration for me, as you were talking earlier, Scott, about asking JL Collins about should we wait on the market, the frustration is is that in the back of your head, what that implies is when it comes down, it's going to go right back up again. And we didn't see that. 2000 to 2002, we didn't see it. We didn't see, you know, market started sliding again 2007. We didn't see that for, what, 18 months, uh, almost two years before the market started coming back again. So when you decide to make those moves, don't think it's a short-term thing. The market should always be, I think, a long-term thing. Aren't you excited when you start your podcast that, uh, that, that you'll people calling you out like, oh, gee, just got called out? Yeah, like specific to the episode, that was... It's good. It was ruthless. We've got awesome <laughs> listeners, man. Yeah. Was that getting called out or was that clarification? Oh, you were getting... You read it as called out. Getting I, called out. That's right. I did put yeah. a little stake on <laughs> it, didn't did. I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen... <laughs> Rob, Rob, Rob's like, I didn't mean it that way at all, Joe. Yes. I think that's going to do it for today, guys. Scott, thanks a ton for hanging out with us again in the basement. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. So You're not, not hired, by the way. Oh, damn it. Not only, no. not only do you have the film, which is at theaters everywhere. People can go to playingwithfire.co. We'll have that in the show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. If you're walking the dog, but you also have a book mm -hmm. that is uh, apparently on a similar topic. Yeah, yeah, similar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's available on Amazon, and it it enjoys I think a four point four 
star rating, so it's not terrible. Nice. I, I've heard it's a pretty easy read. It's like a, it takes about two to four hours to get through it, depending on how excited you are. My whole goal with my project is to try to create an entry point to the fire movement and financial literacy because I was I was really I was a moron, you know. I I just did I did not know what was going on, and uh, when I found all this. I, I became enlightened and my life changed for the better. And so uh, that's kind of the approach we take. So if you do buy my book, please don't expect to get these incredible lessons down to the wire. You know, just like that book that you had last night uh, that was like the oh, over, yeah, overproduced. The overproduced. Yeah. Financial, yeah. beautiful card table or uh, uh, whatever book, uh, coffee table. Coffee book. table. Yeah. The coffee table book with with 1600 graphs in it. Like that's not what you don't we've have done that here. Oh, we I, have not done I'm that out. here. Yeah. <laughs> So please don't buy the book if that's what you're looking for. But, but I will tell you that I, I love seeing your story change lives. We have a friend that we both met last night named Kathy who said she started on her journey because she read your book. That's got to feel good. Yeah, I had goosebumps after I heard that. That was incredible because that is what we're trying to do. We're just um, trying to get people on the right path and help them feel better about their life and less stressed and, and all that. So we thought maybe if we do that through the emotional arc of our journey, you know, we'd be willing to share that if it, if it was beneficial and it's really validating to see that happen. Someday, OG, we might help somebody someday. <laughs> Through a beneficial arc. This might be the year. <laughs> what kind of wording is that? I, I, <laughs> I'm still drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a party last night. I hope night. I have a beneficial arc one day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did I say beneficial arc? That would be tragic. I think I, I think I said no. I think I said emotional arc, didn't I? I don't know. I that, wasn't listening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Something about an arc and water and magic a whole bunch hands. of animals and magic hands. I think on that note, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pull the plug on this one. <laughs> Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? You know what, Joe? I'm gonna do exactly that. So here it goes. First, take some advice from the guys. Buying a car. Making a smart purchase means fitting it inside of your budget so you can focus on those things you really care about and not just a sweet ride like my El Camino. If your El Camino is your favorite purchase, awesome! Go crazy! But if not, save some room for the real things you care about. Second, if you're looking for an item, ask yourself, when is the best time to shop for this? If you can get past the, uh, should I be shopping for this thing at all, well, maybe there's a better time to buy than right now. Your wallet will thank you. But the big lesson, don't let Scott Rickens have the remote control. That guy's all about documentaries, documentaries, and more documentaries. No, I don't want to watch some butterflies mating again, Scott. Holy cow, somebody rescue me from this kid. Well, no, I, I guess I'll take that back. Throw in some popcorn. I'll be right over there, Scott. Special thanks to Scott Rickens. You can find more from Scott and Playing With Fire at the film's website, playingwithfire.co, or through our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show, Scott. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. So we don't we don't talk about it. Woohoo! I had I had close back on fifty people. Aww. Fifty people send this this headline to me, and everybody said they're like, "This reminded me of something that you guys should talk about on your show." Okay. So, so apparently we have a reputation uh, about this stuff, and. Um, this is comes to us from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Constitution, yeah. Drivers begin to return money after hundred and seventy five thousand dollar cash storm on I two eighty five. Did you see this? Weird things have spilled it, yeah. onto Atlanta's interstates before foam tomahawks, produce, and a whole mess of livestock, to name a few. But no spill's been as lucrative as the one on. I-285 a few Tuesdays ago. An armored truck driving in the westbound lanes near Ashford Dunway Road when a side door flew open, releasing its contents onto the onto the interstate. Cash and plenty of it scattered all over the road. Typically, a spill on an interstate would be cause for consternation and likely stop traffic for a few hours. This time, though, drivers stopped willingly. <laughs> <laughs> if everybody wants to help out. Uh, one video showed at least a half dozen cars parked on the shoulder as drivers grabbed at the flying bills. Cash on the interstate. Would you stop and pick it up? Like, like you've got cash all over the interstate. Would you stop? I mean, that's such a surreal moment. It's a state trooper's worst nightmare. But if traffic has stopped behind me, like, of course, I'm backing up. I'm hitting reverse. But statistics on getting out of your car at all on, yeah. on a major freeway is you're going to die. So is it worth that is grabbing some cash? It's 100% the stat. <laughs> yeah. Is it worth grabbing cash? I don't know. I don't know. We had the same thing. I was going to say, we had the same thing happen in Dallas. Similar story, probably about a year ago. And the story that came after this was, P.S., we have all of you on film. Please return the cash. <laughs> like, it's not yours. And because uh, the cops were there in no time, you know, but they can't corral 40 people running around the highway trying to pick up loose bills. My luck, it would be all like singles. It'd be like, you know, like yeah. a <laughs> nightly pickup from like a strip club or something. And I'm like, woo, my, oh, you know, and I'm risking right. life and limb for $11. Right. I wonder how that works. It's not illegal to pick up a dollar that's flying around in it, public. It turns out it is. I was going to really? say, I think, I think since you know where it came from. You police, know it's not yours. Police are asking huh. all the drivers who took advantage of the isolated cash storm, they're calling it. <laughs> yes. 
An ICS. <laughs> can you can, can you see the weather map? Okay. We've got scattered thunder showers over here, an isolated cash storm on <laughs> 285. Uh, those who took the cash could be charged with theft of loss or mislaid property, which is oh, wow. only a misdemeanor, though, under Georgia law. If the property is valued under 1500 beyond that threshold, it's a felony and punishments are increasingly serious. The law is the law. Dunwoody Police Spokesman Sergeant Robert Parsons told AJC.com, you need to turn in the property. It doesn't belong to you. Reality needs to kick in. You need to realize this money belongs to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because you, you know, I, if you're walking down the street and here comes a $5 bill, you can pick it up. If it's a $5 bill and the person's running after it going, hey, can you help me? I, I dropped my purse. And you're like, hey, fighters keepers. Yeah. You know, I think that turns you into an asshole. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and this, because you know it came from something that's not yours. Emo Phillips, the comedian, has a joke about this. He said, you know, you find a wallet in the park. So he finds this wallet in the park and it's got like $500 in mm-hmm. it. He said, then I thought to myself, if I'd lost my wallet in the park, what would I want to have happen? And then my brain said, I'd want to be taught a lesson. (laughs) Yoink. (laughs) Eric writes to us and says, once pre-tax 401k is maxed out, what are the risks to (laughs) contributing to after-tax 401ks? Like literally went down the road. There's there's nothing funny about almost dying, but but that was hilarious. This is hilarious. (laughs) You all right? (laughs) I literally took a drink and I was like, "This is going in the wrong place immediately." You ready? You okay? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is. Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.